Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Dr. Bo Bruce. So this Ash Wednesday, I want to discuss three questions tonight. First, why do we fast? Second, how do we fast? And finally, what our spirit should be when we fast. So first, why do we fast? Well, first and foremost, we fast because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ commands us to. In tonight's gospel, Jesus doesn't say, if you fast, he says, when you fast. And Jesus led by example, spending 40 days in the desert, fasting, overcoming the temptations of Satan, and accomplishing, as we like to say here at the Advent, he accomplished in 40 years of wandering in the desert, what the Jews couldn't in 40 years wandering in the desert, obedience to God. And at some point after that, though, it appears that Jesus and his disciples no longer fasted. In fact, folks noticed that John's disciples were fasting. They noticed the Pharisees were fasting. And so people came to Jesus and said, what's up? Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast but your disciples don't fast. Now, it wasn't that Jesus didn't support fasting or that he didn't think it was something we should all do. Instead, we hear in Jesus's reply when he thinks we will fast. He says, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, he's speaking of himself, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. So Jesus says that his disciples will indeed fast, and it isn't an option for us as Christians to fast. This is our Lord's command. And indeed, the earliest Christian documents attest to fasting by Christians. The Didache, also known as the Lord's teaching through the 12 apostles to the nations. I don't know how you get that from Didache, but um, which uh, may have actually have been penned before John's revelation, discusses fasting. It's sort of like a, a little liturgical book. And it's, it's well worth, worth reading. But in the section, the, it's just a sentence, really. On fasting, it says, Do not let your fast fall on the same days as the hypocrites, referring to the Pharisees, for they fast on Mondays and Thursdays. Keep your fasts on Wednesdays and Fridays. And if you spent any time looking this week through the vicariate norms of fasting, You'll learn that we fast today on Wednesdays and Fridays. Well, in the Western Rite, we do, we do Fridays normally, but during other seasons of the year, Wednesday gets added. And our Eastern Rite brothers and sisters fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. So Jews traditionally have fasted on Mondays and Thursdays, and there are still some times that they do in the year, while Christians have traditionally fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays. So finally, on the why we fast, St. Paul spoke to us recently saying that I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And in that, St. Paul himself is also talking about ways that he's denying his body in order to keep it under control. So with that part, let's talk about how we fast. So I hope I've convinced you that Jesus and his disciples fasted and that that implies that we should too. So how do we do it? Well, yes, we fast from food. And part of the reason we do this is that when we have our bellies in control, it's a lot easier to have the rest of you in control. 
I don't know if you've ever spent much much time fasting, but I certainly have found in the the few years that I've been doing this that it is. It's really a it does something to focus your spirit. You're not thinking of all the other things that can distract you in this world from doing spiritual stuff. You're kind of thinking about the fact that you know I'm a little hungry right now. Um, and it does, so it does definitely do something to you that is, is spiritually valuable. And I hope you'll find the same as you get into the rhythm. And yes, these first few days can be, can be a little bit rough. But, the, but, the, but there's more to it than that. You know, we first will we'll learn, of course, that we don't even need the amount of food that we eat. We can, you know, we can go a month, really, without eating if we wanted to. And we know that God will provide to us what we need, as he does for the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. And even us eating one meal a day, plus that quarter meal maybe uh, called a collation in the middle of the day, we'll definitely have more than enough food to sustain us. We may not believe that, but we will have plenty of food to sustain us. There will be no, none of us starving to death. So we can survive quite adequately without meat, and in fact, we could do that every day for the rest of our lives, but that's not required of us. Instead, we feast when the time is right. And that includes on the Sundays of Lent. So even though we have a 40-day fast, it's not a continuous thing. We still rejoice in our Lord's resurrection every Sunday. And I encourage you to do so. Don't, don't just keep fasting because, again, you're trying to be Superman or something. That's not how this works. You have to fast when it's time to fast and feast when it's time to feast. And um, we often say, too, that we fast during Lent for 40 days, but the Easter season is this time of feasting, and it's 50 days long. So in that way, we party more than, than we uh, keep ourselves uh, fasting. But don't get focused on the food, because at the end of the day, fasting is not just about food. Uh, the food maybe gets our temperament in the right place, and it cools some of our sinful passions. But what we really want to achieve through our increased fasting and prayer and almsgiving during Lent is a fast from sin. And that's not a partial abstinence, or it's really you've got to totally fast from sin. We're supposed to be doing that every day of our lives, right, as Christians. It's not so easy, though. So, it's not just mere abstinence from some types of sin or a reduction in our sinfulness. We really need to focus on giving up sin, turning away from sin. St. John Chrysostom teaches us that the honor of fasting consists not in abstinence from food, but in withdrawing from these sinful practices. Since he who limits his fasting only to abstinence from meat is the one who especially disparages it, he says. And what St. John Chrysostom says is, if, are you fasting? Well, show me your works. And by what works? Well, if you see a poor man, take pity on him. If you see an, if you see an enemy, reconcile yourself with him. He says, if you see a friend gaining honor, envy him not. If you see a beautiful woman or a handsome man, pass him or her by. For not, let not the mouth only fast, but also the eye and the ear and the feet and the hands and all the members of our body. Let the hands fast by being pure from pillage and greed. Let the, feast, the feet fast by ceasing from running to unlawful spectacles. Let the eyes fast 
being taught never to fix themselves rudely upon handsome countenances or to busy themselves with strange beauties. So when I say it isn't about food, it is, of course, about food, but it isn't just the food that goes in your stomach. Because we need to fast from the food for our eyes. For looking is the food of our eyes. And as St. John Chrysostom says, if we look at that which is unlawful or forbidden, it mars our fast. It upsets the safety of our soul. But if we're looking at things that are lawful, it's safe, at the icons, at our spiritual being, it adorns our fasting. For it would be among things the most absurd to abstain from lawful food because of the fast, but with the eyes to touch even what is forbidden. So St. John Chrysostom you know, tells us that it's about our eyes, but it's also about our ears. Hearing is its food. So fasting means we have to refuse to hear the evil people are saying about other people. We have to refuse gossip. We have to avoid music that contributes to us having un- inappropriate thoughts. We have to avoid getting worried about exaggerated reports of disaster. And I understand many of us are quite anxious about the events that are going on in this world right now. But what I'm saying is don't let these exaggerated things, the panic that you see other people have, get into those ears. Stay calm and base what you're doing on on facts. And we have to avoid the lies we hear. Our nose usually stays out of direct trouble, I find, but we shouldn't forget that smells have the strongest connections to our memories. If a smell triggers our thoughts in a sinful direction, we shouldn't dwell on it, and we, be, we should be thankful that our sense of smell is the one that most quickly habituates. So maybe we only need a few minutes to focus on something else to get over that sensation. Our mouth needs to fast not just from physical food, but the feeding it gets from yelling, telling lies, and having unhelpful words to those around us. Rather, let's speak kind and loving words, bring peace, and remind people to not be afraid in the face of some pretty worrisome things that are going on in the world. That will be your mouth's fast. And finally, our sense of touch, and of course our hands in particular, who are fed by hoarding anything we can find. We love to touch all sorts of things. We have to fast from their sinful actions and instead use our hands to give someone a kind and loving touch in a time of need. To feel the joy that comes from feeling something leave our hand when we give something to our neighbor in need. That will be your hands fast. So, finally, what should our spirit be? Well, Jesus warns us, as I warned you a few weeks ago when we started the pre-Lenten period on Septuagesima, that we have to fast for the right reasons. We can't be doing it for ourselves, and that means two things. We can't just be doing what we want to do. Yes, you can add some things that you might want to work on in your spiritual life, but I want you to make your priority faithful obedience to what the church has asked you, because that helps us understand what faithful obedience to Christ means and is. What the fasting rules are, don't, don't, they don't have any perfect, you know, logical explanation. They are what they are. But if we start questioning them instead of following them, we're not being faithful. And second, it means that fasting cannot be out of pride or because we like a challenge or because we're so good that we can do this perfect. We have to go beyond the rules like I was just talking about. 
The, the rules of the fast are just our guardrails. Keeping the food fast just keeps us in the lane. But there's a lot more to stay in your lane, in the center of the road. So finally, that brings me to the prophet Joel, who in our first reading speaks of weeping and the mourning that accompany the fast. In the imposition of ashes that we just received, we were reminded of our own death, a death we cannot escape. It's pretty morbid in the literal sense. And even with the free will offering of Jesus Christ, we all still will die. But now we know that we, like Christ, can pass through and overcome death and come out the other side resurrected and have a new life with God for eternity. So if Jesus, taking on everything it means to be human, did not escape death, we also will suffer the same. But this is not a time to beat ourselves up. Lent is not a time for beating ourselves up. Our mourning and tears should not be a perpetual state. They are simply a pause to recognize where and who we really are. Yes, there's some really, really messed up stuff in the world. And yes, some of that we are responsible for. But this state of weeping and mourning should be sort of a hairpin turn where we dwell only for an instant, realizing that continuing in the direction we're going means we're going to hit a wall and hard unless we take a second to break, pay attention to where we are, and turn around and go the other way, which should be aligned back to God. The weeping and the mourning is not the fast. It's merely the starting line. It's time to repent, for which the Greek word so translated is metanoia, a change of mind, a change of heart. We need to turn our thinking around, our feeling around, and orient it towards God. That's what the season of Lent is about. Yes, we start with some weeping and mourning. We start thinking about some pretty morbid stuff. But we need to just turn around now and take a beeline towards life, the life and light of Easter, the light and life of God. And that's why we're here tonight, to reorient ourselves towards God, to reorient our life and reorient ourselves to life not just in the hereafter, but in the here and now. Christ came, as he says, that we may have life and have it abundantly. And when he said that, he didn't mean in, you know, after we're dead. He meant now and then. But to have that abundant life, we have to be facing him, the source of all life. And as we fast, we learn to feed on him not to feed on the things that we need to be fasting from, as I've been discussing tonight over the next several weeks and for the rest of our life. But we need to be feeding on Christ. And when we do, we'll realize that what we call a fast is really a feast, a feast on God, a feast of infinite bounty, a feast that will always and forever satisfy. So in conclusion, we fast because our Lord commands it. We fast not just by abstaining from food, but from feeding all of our, but from fasting, we fast from all that feeding of our senses with all that sinful gunk. And we maintain a spirit of, uh, and countenance of feasting. But instead, we're feasting on God, on the eternal rather than the temporal.
And we don't stay in the spirit of sackcloth and ashes of today's uh, Mass. But instead, we take our patient, obedient, upward course towards our Easter joy after we've turned away from the way we've been heading away from God. So I wish all of us a blessed Lenten fast that keeps us from filling ourselves with the wrong things. And instead, we will be filling our plates with God until our cup runneth over, our bellies are full, and we will feast on him who gives life to, loves, and saves us all. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.